downstairs if you're here in the sanctuary or dial in to the um, number where you can hear the sermon translated. Good morning again. It's great to see everyone here. And it's great to be able to get back into the Word of God. We're in 1 Timothy chapter uh, 1, verses 3 to 7. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 to 7. Last week we covered an introduction to Timothy. I may sort of uh, step on a little of those, uh, th- that content again just to give everybody a refresher. But for the most part, uh, I think we laid a good foundation for Timothy. And as we go, we'll continue to build on that. So let's, uh, let's pray. Father, I pray for your, uh, your word, that it would just be amplified, that it would cut us deep, Lord, that it would do the work that you've intended as when you plan to send it out. Please uh, use your word to change us and draw us closer to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. First Timothy chapter 1, verses 3. As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines nor to pay attention to myths or endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart uh, with a good conscience and a good conscience and a sincere faith. For some men straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussion wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. Now, I have to say that if you really want to get some uh, translation options on fruitless discussion, you have to go to the King James and use the words vain jangling. And I want to start to incorporate that back into our culture. I don't know. I just love the fact going up to my children and say, stop the vain jangling. I just want to do that. Anyway, that's King James language. We're in NSAB and it's fruitless discussion. What are we going to do? But anyway, so this book, Timothy, uh, is mentored by the Apostle Paul. And so they have been together at this point for a while, probably close to 15 years. Um, Timothy was met by Paul on his first missionary journey, but he was a little too young, plus he uh, was a, had a Greek father, and so Paul circumcised him, but did not take him again, or did not take him until his second missionary journey. And so he goes with Paul on his second missionary journey, basically goes everywhere, goes with him to Corinth, and um, picks him in Lystra, picks him up in Lystra first, and, uh, and, and goes, takes him around, and Timothy is just sitting at the feet of the most amazing, amazing theologian and most Holy Spirit-filled man, other than Christ, probably, uh, at all times. So Timothy had first-hand knowledge. So Paul gets thrown into prison. He goes into Rome, and he gets released from his first imprisonment, hooks back up with Timothy, goes to Ephesus, where they had already spent two years and three months prior together, and he leaves Timothy in Ephesus, and he goes off, as, our, as the first passage says here, he goes off into Macedonia. But he tells Timothy to remain in Ephesus. And so as we talked, Ephesus was a hotbed of the Roman Empire. It was a Roman outpost, a province of Rome, one of its largest provinces. And you know, with a province, what they tried to do is they tried to make that province Rome. 
So they Romanized it. Um, and Ephesus turned into uh, just a hotbed of cult activity. The cult um, Artemis, which uh, in Rome is called the cult Diana. This was a very strange cult. And Timothy was pretty much placed right smack in the middle of the strip in Las Vegas. Just imagine that, you know, at its worst time. And Timothy was a young man. And so Paul is, is, is obviously trying to encourage him. And so very right out of the gate in the first part of the letter, and this is where I think we need to, this is what we need to really pay attention to, he's focusing on the importance of the Word of God. He's focusing on the importance of making that the total foundation. And it's so important. And, and especially, you know, when we think about how we get the information and how we make decisions on our morality, what to do, what not to do. Everybody has a standard that they go to. That standard could be your own heart. That standard could be what your friends do. That standard could be what the majority is doing. But Paul is saying here that, no, you need a different standard. Sometimes when I witness to people and we talk about truth, I say, well, listen, if, we, if, if, if I'm looking at this here, this pulpit, and I say this is 30 inches across, and you say it's 20 inches across, how do we know who's right? Well, Pat, in my heart, I know that it's 30 or 20 inches because my heart is telling me that. So it's true for me. And I say, well, let me get something that will settle the issue, a tape measure. And the tape measure is our standard that we go to. It's very, very simple, right? But yet in life and in church and in our own, when we make decisions, we don't see that simplicity. Sometimes we make decisions, we go to this book second or third, or we go to somebody who knows this book, which is cool. But God would want you to go to the word of God first and make that your ultimate standard. And we see this all throughout life, that there are invisible laws, the laws of logic, the laws of morality that we do not see that are set in stone as ultimate standards that God has given us. And so Timothy here is being literally warned by Paul. He's being urged, urged to remain on in Ephesus, number one. Now the play on this word remain is consider staying. Really consider staying there. So Paul is trying to encourage him, knowing Timothy is probably not in the best frame of mind to go back there. He was already there before. He's seen, you know, Paul be stoned. Uh, he saw a lot of things happen at this place, and that's where he is going to be for the rest of his life. Unfortunately, Timmy, that's where you ended up, buddy. But he did a good job. He was faithful. He was told to instruct certain men that were teaching strange doctrines. Again, this word instruct. Just like the commandment of God our Savior in verse 1 is a royal command, this instruct is also a royal command. So he's commanding Timothy with authority that comes from the throne of Christ. So it's not Paul who's saying he's commanding him on the basis of his, of his ministry to them and saying you need to instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. And that's the big part of the pastoral ministry. Actually, it is the pastoral ministry. And that's what I hope you want the pastoral ministry to do. Because the pastoral ministry is about, to, is about shepherding people, but also to protect the sheep from bad doctrine. 
And that doesn't mean that I go and I inspect every one of your Bibles when you walk in. I've been to a church like that where I walked at the door and the, the pastor stopped me and made sure I had a King James Bible. All right, good, you're good. Go ahead, get in. You know, um, I'm not going to do that for you guys, all right? Uh, that's not going to happen. But if we see that, you know, there's a false doctrine getting floated around, we can't just be like, all right, well, God's going to take care of it. No, we got to talk about it. You know, let's deal with that. Like, where are you getting it from? You know, what's going on? Let's go to the scriptures and that sort of thing. And so Paul was dealing, or Timothy was dealing with this, and Paul knew that there was going to be some big trouble uh, up there because he had told them, remember in Acts chapter 20, before Paul went bound to Jerusalem or went to Jerusalem to become bound, he gathered all the elders from the Ephesian church. He gathered them all. He didn't go to Ephesus. He sent for them to come to Troas so he could have a meeting with them and sort of encourage them to do what they needed to do but also to let them know that it would be the last time that he would see them. But listen to what he said. Acts chapter 20, verses 27 to 30. For I did not, excuse me, shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God, the whole word of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among you, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Talking to Ephesus here. He says here that... I know in verse 29 that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among our own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples to themselves. This is the ultimate motivation, unfortunately, that the word tells us that, again, could we, does it surprise us? No. You mean a person in power is corrupting it? Wow. That's what happens, right? It's, any, it's anywhere, especially in the church. It's absolutely dangerous. So he's letting them know that this was going to happen. Now, we also read about Ephesus where? We read about Ephesus in the book of Revelation. Now, this book that we're in now is written in A.D. 62. My view, and I believe what the scriptures teach, self-evident, is that Revelation was not written in A.D. 95, the scholarship now is more pointing to A.D. 65 and the internal evidence of the book of Revelation. So if that is true, then the book of Revelation was written in A.D. 65, right before the destruction of Jerusalem, roughly. This was written in 62. Now, John, three years later, writing the book of Revelation, says to the angel of the church of Ephesus, right? So this is the future of Ephesus. The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks amongst the seven golden lampstands, those are the churches. He says this, I know your deeds, and I know your toil, and I know your perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. You have perseverance, and you've endured for my name, and you've not grown weary, but I have this against you. You've left your first love. Therefore, remember where you've fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I'm coming to you and I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. And so this is what was going on in Ephesus even in the future. Regardless of what you believe the date is, it's either 65 or 95, it's still what was headed, where Timothy was headed. So you could see there's a lot of stuff going on that this man had to deal with. And so Paul, again, comes right out of the gate and says, number one, Timothy... Be concerned about doctrine. Stay away from the strange doctrines. 
Now again, the strange doctrine is Old Testament Hebrew language for strange fire. Things that are perverse about the law. Things that are like um, just decrepit in terms of the law. It's strange, okay? And so strange flesh, okay? That's what they refer to in the Old Testament when men dress like women and women dress like men. Strange flesh, okay? I'm not saying that, that people are strange, but that's the, it's off of the doctrine that Jesus taught and God taught. And so these doctrines that they were doing are off of the doctrines that were taught originally by Paul. But what were they? Well, first of all, they were giving heeds to endless genealogies and myths. Now, if you've read the genealogies in the Old Testament, they're endless. <laughs> but they were so um, important back then to make sure that the right inheritance went to the right place and that the right people got into the right tribe, the right priests especially, were from the tribe of Levi. And so what they would do is there would be certain people that would take these genealogies and they would start to venerate them. Like, ooh, I'm from the line of Seth, or I'm from the line of you know, Abraham, or I'm from the line of Ishmael, or whatever they would do, and they would start to make a big deal about it, saying that, you know, unless you're from this line in genealogy, you're not as spiritual as if you're from that one. And so after that comes, you got all these sorts of myths, and, and what happens is, is that when people fall prey to false doctrine, they end up giving authority to these doctrines in their life, and they start living after it. Because doctrine dictates behavior. So what you believe about God is going to dictate how you live your life about God. If you feel God is an angry God that's trying to get everybody to just finally live the way he wants to live, you're going to look at him and you're going to run from him. And you're always going to be having the magnifying glass over your life going, am I doing this right? Am I doing that right? And so you don't want to have that view of God. The biblical view of God is that God is love and that you are his child and he's going to deal with you as a child, not as an enemy. You were once enemies with God outside of Christ, outside of the commonwealth of Israel. But now the two have been brought together. You're made one. We are with God. We're as his people. So it's not about sitting there putting that microscope on you. It's about loving God, seeking him, and out of that, obeying him and doing his will and moving forward. And that's what Paul sees. He wants this to happen. But when this strange doctrine comes in, that's what can really cause problems. It could divide a church, especially these churches, because not these us, but back then it was, there was a tendency to make a Jewish church and to make a Christian church, Gentile church. And Paul, in all of his letters, as we said, he's constantly trying to get them not to do that. It's one. It's the unity of one. So these doctrines, these Judaizers, a lot of them too, were, were in here, and they were saying that you have to be both follow, you have to both be a law follower and believe in Jesus by faith. And they were also saying that this is the way of salvation for those that were Jews, and this is the way of salvation. And Paul's going, no, 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 no. That's not it, because that will divide a church. They were fascinated with these, and they made very uh, a great, a big deal about these great figures in the past, especially from what they call pseudo-epigraphal uh, books, which are books that are about the Bible, or they're claimed to be written from somebody in the Bible, but we really don't know and can't prove their authorship. 
For instance, Second Enoch is a very big uh, uh, reference in Judaism. They, it was re well respected all the way up until the time of Christ and beyond, but it's not scripture. And so people would take those books like that and they would start making doctrines out of that instead of just sticking to the plain testimony of scripture. Now, how do we do that? We do that in a lot of ways. And it's, what do we do is we, we end up looking at the, the, the scriptures. I know for one is the New Testament ends up looking more important than the old. And that even in of itself can cause a division in doctrine. And that's sort of what they were doing. But they were saying the old is more important than the new. The old covenant and the new covenant. And so <clears throat> they, were, they were dealing with this and they were also um, speculating about it. And it does not further the administration of God. It, 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 that's by faith. It says it right there. The, the furtherance of the administration of God is by faith. That should really smack us right in the head. All of us right now, including myself, who are constantly putting ourselves you know, into condemnation because of our sin. Not that our sin is good. Our sin is terrible. We should run from it. We should repent of it. But you are involved in a battle with your sin. I don't, I mean, I've seen light switches in my life. I've seen people get radically converted and just completely change and completely never have struggles with any of the previous sins they had in their life. I've seen that. But that, that's, that's a very, very rare. Most people go like this. Right? And then we end up going where we need to go. But the higher we go, the higher the fall, the better the, the grinding, the better the change. And then you're raised back up to the mountain. So are you willing to do that? Because that's what Christianity is about. It's not about sitting there making sure every single thing is checked off. I say that all the time because that's a burden for me. Because I see it every single day, ten times a day. We don't believe it's by faith. It's by faith. Faith means what? You're sure in what you hope for and you're certain in what you do not see. So don't look for sight. Don't look for visible. Just keep walking and focused on God's grace and he's going to use you and he's going to give you that freedom from that sin. He's going to release you gradually. Maybe he'll snap it right off of you. Maybe you're keeping it up. Maybe he's like, I freed you, but you're dabbling. Stop dabbling and then you'll be free. And so <clears throat> then we move forward here. So this is where he's coming down to the real meat of it, right? Because what was the book of Ephesians, I'm sorry, the book of Revelation talking to Ephesus about? Getting back to what? First love. And I can't but think that John is referring back to this next part because the goal of our instruction is love. It's love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That's what the goal of the pastoral ministry is about. The goal of our instruction is to get you to believe exactly like me and follow all my rules and all my things and all my theological little hobby horses. No, I don't want to do that ever. I will. You put me in check. No, our job is to give you the to, to teach, to instruct. But the end result is love from a pure, pure heart. How do we get a pure heart? Well, it's got to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And I know that sounds like some old hymn, right? And it is, but it's a never-ending truth. Only Jesus' blood 
And only if you have faith in Christ will that blood be applied to you, which will completely eradicate all the right writ against you of every sin you've ever committed, are committing, and will commit. God will take you and change you and open your eyes, and he will show you now that, you are, that what you're doing is a sin, and you're going to stop loving that sin, and you're going to start loving God. You're going to start hating your sin and really, really loving God. That's what is going to happen. And you see, that's the end result of ministry. We want people to love God. And what's our sincere heart? For you to live a pure life before God and to utilize every gift that he's given you for the kingdom that he's put you in at this time, in this place in history. There's never going to be another time like this and another person like you. What has he given you to do? The end result will be love from a pure heart. Okay, and again, this pure heart, it comes from the blood of Christ. But secondly, guys, it comes from spending time with Christ. Okay, because purity does not come from just doing pure things. Purity doesn't come by just, you know, starving yourself from lust. It works. But guess what? If you're starving and you're fighting and fighting and fighting, and it's continuing and continuing and continuing, and it's compulsive, then guess what? Go back to page one. Get in the presence of Christ. Get in the presence of Christ. Encounter him. How do you do that? Relentlessly. Put all your effort into that. On your knees. Lay down. Face far on the ground. Just call on the Lord. Lord, I'm not leaving until you, until you bless me. Right? I need your blessing. I need freedom, Lord. You could please give it to me. I'm done. Are you at that point? Because that's where Jesus comes strong. And that's where, because he says, look, if you seek me with all your heart, you're going to find me. And he looks to and fro throughout the earth, looking for somebody whose heart is strong towards him. So he wants that. Do that. Now, conscience, the word conscience comes from the, it means with knowledge. Conscience, conscience, right? Con with science, knowledge. A good conscience is in harmony with God's heart. So when we sin, our conscience gets a little pierced. Why? Because we've just broken harmony with our maker. And there's, our, our sin is, our heart is telling us, harmony's been broken. But when, we, when we're with the Lord and we, we go to him with a good conscience, we're, we're okay to be in harmony with his heart and his, his presence because we're walking in his grace. We're walking in his grace. And so the word is, is uh, syn, uh, synodesis, which means synergy. So it's synergy with God's heart. That's how we go with a good conscience. It's not, it's not just sitting there going, okay, I, I, I feel bad, I feel bad, I feel bad, I can't feel bad, I have to have a good conscience. No, it's like uniting, I, I love what God loves. I, I, I hate what God hates. I want what God wants for me. You know, that's being on his conscience. I look with this as wrong because God looks at that as wrong. So I'm in harmony with it. When I do do that sin, it, 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 I feel it. It purges, it, it hurts my conscience. So I purge it with the blood of Christ and I keep moving on. Pure conscience, right? That's what we have to do every day. Just get that glass of water and just pour it on your chest and on your head and say, put pure conscience every day. It's clearing me up. Pour it on your chest, right? Because that's what's happening when you come to Christ. The blood of Christ cleanses you from all sin. And so again, a good conscience and a sincere faith. What does that mean? Sincere means undisguised, not pretending. 
Okay, there's no undercover Christians. Undercover Christianity and all that stuff is, is really not. Now, again, you may just, you may have a hard time. Maybe you're more of an introvert. You don't like to talk to people and all that. I'm not, I'm not necessarily talking about that. I'm talking more about the fact that your faith is truly authentic, that you've settled the issue on what you believe. You've settled the issue that you're not going to see what you believe now and this side. So you're not waiting for signs and wonders. You're truly trusting in the Lord, undisguised, not pretended. You admit that I'm a Christian. You're that guy. You're that girl. You know you're going to say, don't try to undercut, be undercover. Just bring it out right away. You know, oh, that's awesome. Cool. I got, you know, praise God for that. Or say some other Christianese thing. And people go, what? <laughs> you know, or God bless. I don't know how many times I've found Christians by just saying God bless to somebody. And it's just amazing. You, God bless you. You probably, yeah, hey, what's up? And so don't be afraid to tell the world that you're a Christian in your way. And obviously, if you evangelize, it's a different context. But do that, okay? And so by straying away from these things, by straying away from that instruction from a pure heart and from a good conscience, what also is going to happen is you're going to start vain jangling, right? You're going to have that fruitless discussion. And that's what starts to happen. And we start to just get caught up on these little non-essentials and then they start to blow up, right? How many conversations have I had with people about, you know, aliens and all these other things and, you know, all this other stuff that's going on, right? But really when it comes down to, it comes down to God and his word. And that's what our discussion should be about. Now, listen, I love healthy debate. And that's one thing that we, I like to say, that we try to do, I like to try to do, is not be completely, even if I am dogmatic about a, a certain subject, I want to hear what you have to say about it too. So I'm open to discuss. We are open to discuss. But we won't compromise uh, in terms of what we believe. But we, will we are open to discuss. I know there's a lot of people here that believe a lot of different things. And that's why we, we, we preach verse by verse. We preach the gospel. And we try to show all the different sides of these views so people can get there to believe and have that conviction on their own. So they do this thing. They want to be teachers of the law, even though they don't even understand what they're saying. So he, he, he's really ripping into these guys. Um, he's really uh, telling them, look, these guys are going to Timothy. They're going to take your church and they're going to split it and they're going to it's going to be all upside down. And so you've got to make sure that your heart is right here. So the bottom line is, is what Paul is saying is that you have to make sure that the Word of God is what you're focused on. Now, the very first thing about the Word of God is, is how do we know what the Word of God says? Think about that. I had to go down and get the answer. Right? What does the Word of God say? How do we know what the Word of God says? How do I know that Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord, how can I interpret that? Well, what we use, or what I use, um, and I believe all the other teachers here are same as well, is we use the historical grammatical interpretation me method. So we take the grammar of the word, the history of the word, or history of the context, and we use scripture to interpret scripture. And so there's where we get the, that's the foundation. We ask who, what, where, when, and why of the text. And then from there, we try to give practical application that we all need. And so that's, how do we do that? By having Doctrine, okay? So doctrine is a, is a system of beliefs. 
Strange doctrine is, is the wrong system of beliefs. So the word doctrine, D-O-C-T-R-I-N-E, means a system, of a, a system of beliefs about a certain topic. Or it, it could say something like, uh, let's say, for instance, salvation. It's what the Bible would say throughout the whole Bible about salvation. What, what does the whole Bible generally say about salvation? Salvation is by grace alone. That's our do- that, that would be the, doctrines, the doctrine of grace. Okay? Grace alone. There's no other way to get to God other than by his unchanging, unfailing, love, uh, compassionate grace where he takes us and changes us and saves us and forgives us, and it's all on him. And then we live for him. It's all for him. And so all of these things that he's, uh, um, in terms of all these things, fall under that category of having right doctrine. And so it's the doctrines where we must be solid on, right? We have our doctrine of, of the Trinity. We have our doctrine of justification. And I know some of these you may not know exactly, or doctrine of sanctification, you know, eschatology. All these things are what we study and where we get. We get it all from the Word of God. And then we take all of that and try to put it into the actual text and give the best interpretation. Now, that's all we could do. The rest of it has to be a dependence on the Holy Spirit. And so that's how we determine truth. But again, that's really putting the cart before the horse. Do you believe? What is your truth? Like, really think about it. Where do you go as your ultimate standard of truth? Do you go to just the Bible alone as your ultimate standard? That doesn't mean you just read it and don't ask anybody else about it, but you go to the Word of God because that's what God wants you to do. You have to read the Word, study the Word. It should be your life's mission to learn this book. If you read this book, give me one person here who's never read the Bible. If you read this book for one year, you will be a changed individual at the end of that one year, I guarantee it. You will be different. You will be changed if you do it faithfully. How much more for us who know the Lord? How much more for us who've been reading it, who know the basic stories? We need to get into the Word of God. And then when a problem arises, this is our rule for life. You're going through a problem? Go to the wonderful counselor first. Jesus. He's the Word made flesh. And so the first thing we have to do is really prioritize this word of God as number one in our life. Have you done that? And how do you do it? Well, if you're a person like me, I need to study and I need to know, well, wait, wait a minute, what am I doing here? Why is the, the word of God it? Well, again, I could go through the historical, uh, all the historical evidence and the evidence from science. And we can go through the archaeological evidence and the prophetical evidence. And we can go through all of those things. And I could sit, literally sit here and preach you the word and teach you the word and show you all that. But if the Holy Spirit doesn't open your eyes, the Bible says you're going to think it's foolishness. So what's the key here, guys? When we want to read the word, we have to pray to God and say, God, show me what you mean here. Speak to me today. I'm going and diving in. And it doesn't have to. We were talking downstairs before earlier for our, for our uh, foundations class, which I invite you all to. You know, that the Bible, sometimes I'll just read one verse for the morning. And if it's a verse, or I'll read, and that usually happens when God just sucker punches me with a verse. And I'll just be like, ugh. And then I'll just type it, and I'll copy it, and I'll put it in my phone, and I'll look at it all day. 
and then maybe I'll, the next day I'll read. I, use, I like to try to read two chapters uh, in the Psalms every morning, and then you know I'm studying all day, so I don't want to count that. So I like to just have that time. Are you doing, are you doing something like that? It doesn't mean you have to do it the way we, I do it. But are you making the word? Are you, are you part of the fighter verse nation? Right? The fighter verse nation is no joke. You could sing the songs, dance the songs, all types of things, or sing the verses, dance the verses, all types of things. And uh, you'll learn the word. And um, that's, that's just right on our, uh, our Tuesday night would be the best thing to come to. Our Tuesday night uh, house of prayer because it's based off of the foundation. It's based off the verses and so you could do that you could get into the word and so do that pray pray the word search the word and and if we if we if we, if we do that we immerse ourselves in the word we will hide it in our heart second timothy three sixteen. again this is the next book that paul writes right after he writes this one he writes another letter to timothy he tells them all scripture is inspired by god for, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God and women of God and woman of God, please, may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Every good work. That covers everything. So you are equipped to be, tra- see, it's training in righteousness, it's repetition. It's for correction. Wow, I didn't know that was wrong. And, and, it, and it reproves us. And obviously it teaches. Now, a couple of next verse down, this is what Timothy says. He says to Timothy, so Timothy 3.16 is what I just read. Okay, and that's the end of chapter 3. And then you go to 2 Timothy 4 and he says, I solemnly charge you, again, that word, that, that, that the royal command in the presence of God and of Christ who is able to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. I did not able. He is to judge the living and the dead. He says to him, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, repro- uh, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. And so do you see how important the word is? Not only is it used for us to transform us in every aspect of life, but it's also to transform others when it's preached. Okay, when you preach the word, it's going to cut, it's going to exhort. Do it with patience and instruction. And this is what we have to do to immerse ourselves. If you believe the the word of God is the ultimate truth, you're going to be preaching the word. Maybe it's not to everybody you meet, maybe it's to your family. Who knows? But this is where we need to focus. The word of God must be our ultimate standard, standard of truth, and that must formulate our doctrines alone. Now, of course, where the Word of God is, Jesus is, because He is the Word. That's hard to understand, because the Bible says, in the beginning was John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then down in verse 14, the Word was made, made flesh, and He tabernacled among us like the temple of the Holy God. And so he was made flesh. So Jesus, when you're reading the Old Testament, not just the red letters in the New, okay, when people say, well, Jesus, I never heard Jesus talk about that. And I say, well, well, you've never read the Old Testament. (laughs) Or you've never read this book. Well, wait, that's not Jesus. No, Jesus is the Word. He breathed it out. Okay, all things came came, uh, from him, for him, through him, by him, everything. He is it. So he has to be... 
he's got, he is the one that you're going after to encounter. So again, there's another peel back of the onion. Have you encountered Christ? You know, so you have to give your life to Christ. And if you are being compelled to give your life to Christ right now, it's because God is compelling you, not because of anything I'm saying or doing. So you have to ask yourself, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Have you come to him and give, asked him to forgive your sins? Do you believe that he is the only way, that he is the only way to God, that he is exclusive? It's not Jesus plus anything. Do you believe he died and rose from the dead and is alive today at the right hand of the Father? If you believe those things, then you are saved. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Right? So it's with the mouth you confess and it's with the heart you believe. So confess it right now in your heart. Confess it to God. Go to Jesus. Lord, take me. I want, I'm done messing around. I'm settling the issue. I'm, I'm laying it all down. I'm coming to you, Christ, and your word from now on is going to be steering my ship. <clears throat> so as we do contemplate doing that, we're going to go into the Lord's Supper, and it's very appropriate. So what, what I'm going to do here is, first of all, uh, uh, you know, the Lord's Supper is for believers. Uh, the Lord's Supper is something that we are warned of doing it in the wrong sort of mindset, and that means, like, don't just do it as a, as a ritual, okay? And... Uh, it, it basically, it, uh, here, here's what we have. What is it? The consumption of the bread and wine? What is it? It's a foretaste of what's coming in the future. See, we're tasting a little bit of what's going to be manifested in its absolute fullness in the new creation when that kingdom comes. The presence of Christ, we're, we're, we're appropriating that, right? And we're being identified with the body that's about to be broken and, the, and, and his blood that was about to be poured out. And so now we're partaking in that, uh, in that, in that sort of, it's not a ritual, it's we're, 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 we're participating with God, with Christ. Remember Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And people started, unfollow, unfollow. <laughs> He's out. That's what he did. That's what happened. People left him. And Jesus said, you guys are going to stay. Well, where should we go? Nowhere else to go, Lord. And, but after that, he said, these words are spirit and life. That's not literal, but it shows how intimate that this meal should be, doesn't it? So it's spiritual in nature. And so take it serious and cleanse your heart. Just go to the Lord and say, Lord, just cleanse my heart. Forgive me. And I just want to, I want to receive you and proclaim the gospel in a physical manifest. We're manifesting the gospel in this meal. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read the scripture now, and then we're going to pass out the elements, and then I'm just going to come up, and then we're going to pray and partake. So it's Matthew 26, 26 to 28. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is the blood of my covenant, of the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Lord, as we prepare to uh, take this meal, Lord, prepare our hearts. Forgive us our sins, Lord. Uh, guide us in the, right, in the right path, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to ask Gregorio and Hubert to come on up. And uh, every, all of our wafers are gluten-free.